family with us everywhere. For example, we just bought a, a property in Marquette, Michigan, which is, uh, you know, it's eight hours away. And we took our whole family up there when we were researching it. You know, we talked to it. We see it as an educating moment, I guess. These are things that a lot of people are not taught, right? You, you don't learn about this stuff. Even if you go to any college or any school, this is something that often you just stumble upon and we kind of did stumble upon it and unfortunately so because we were searching for how do we do something different? How do we kind of avoid the regular path? In this episode, we have a husband and wife team which has over 400 doors under management. David Camara, founder and managing director of Cape Sierra Capital and Jessica Bragley, co-founder of managing director of Cape Sierra Capital. David and Jessica share how they switched careers and started their business in real estate. We will also discuss the challenges of working with your spouse and communicating with each other. Finally, we will talk about a very special deal in Michigan that consists of 124 units they just closed recently. All this and much more next. Real estate investing is changing, but there are people evolving and thriving. In this podcast, we'll listen to their stories and hopefully learn from them. I am dedicated to creating a life where I could create multiple passive income and doing something I love along the way. To me, the most important part is doing significant work and create great relationships along the way. For those that want to invest in passive income multifamilies, email me at abio at abiobiestatos.com. My name is Abio Biestatos. I am a real estate investor and entrepreneur, and I want to help you live the real estate life. Welcome to the Real Estate Life Podcast. Welcome to the Real Estate Life Podcast. Today, I'm very excited to present. We have David Camara, founder and managing director of Cape Sierra Capital. And joining us is Jessica Bradley. She's the co-founder and managing director of Cape Sierra Capital. This is a husband and wife team. I'm excited to hear their story and how they got started into multifamily syndication. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Ariel. It's nice to meet you. Thank you for having us. Thank you. All right, so I'm just going to get to it. Um, uh, you know, I, I was reading your your story on, on your website and kind of got a little bit grasp of how you guys got started, but I'm going to let you explain that to the listeners. And uh, we could start with Jessica first. Jessica, so I see that you started first in single families in the real estate business. We did. You know, we, um, we both graduated from the University of Michigan and... Uh, both found jobs in Chicago. Um, so we moved and bought our first house together. And that was kind of what tipped us off to, wow, this is something that we can uh, possibly make money on. And so during the recession, uh, we found a house close to where we were living and actually bought it on a credit card and, <laughs> and were able to make the improvements and get a renter in right away. Um, and it was, it was very lucrative. Um, so right off the bat, we were able to find something and, and start something. Um, we also uh, found a couple, a couple of duplexes outside in the Southern part um, closer uh, to Gary, Indiana, which is, you know, right out, coming out of right out of college and not really having any money and having student loans. Uh, that's what we could afford at the time and kind of earned our stripes there, you know, kind of um, taking classes and learning how to um, operate rental properties. 
You self-educated yourselves. Exactly. We, we just said, you know, it's interesting that we could leverage, right, other people's money and control a big asset. We, we, we learned that in buying our own first personal house. And that kind of, both Jessica and I were excited about it. We went to a bunch of conferences and said, yeah, we should do this. And uh, so, yeah, that's, that was kind of the start. You kind of covered all of those. <laughs> so, so you were self-managing these single families and duplexes, is that correct? Correct. Yeah, I remember I would, yeah. I would, uh, I would tr- so I was working at an industrial manufacturer. So I was in systems and then I went, I was working in the warehouse. So in the warehouse, you, you kind of have, my department was shipping, responsible for shipping lots of packages out to all kinds of places. But I would try and if I needed to go see the property, get on the later shift. So that morning, I'll just drive out there, talk to the tenant, see what's going on, make sure any repairs were fixed, and then get to work when I needed to. And now th- this goal that you have with uh, this goal, this was started as a small goal. Did you or you guys always had the, the bigger picture? We're going to own hundreds of units of apartments or it just first started at something small. want to have a side hustle, side business, some extra cash flow. You know, it really just kind of started with us having our own, you know, our first single family and um, renovating our own kitchen, renovating our own bathroom and being able to pay off some of those student loans and saying, wow, after we refinanced our house and saying, wow, this is something that we could potentially uh, grow into into a business. Um, and so David, I would have to say David really, (laughs) um, educated himself and took the ball and really ran with it, um, to get it started. Yeah. I think, I think our original, uh, our original discussions were basically if we can buy a house a year, right. And just keep buying a house a year in 10 years, we'd have 10 houses. And after some time, right. Those would hopefully get paid off. And then if we even average a thousand dollars a month on rents, that would be great. I mean, that was kind of the original plan. We we definitely did not have the kind of the big, hairy, audacious goals of let's go buy hundreds and hundreds of units. That was that was a later phase thing. So so how long did it take you from that original plan that got destroyed by the amount of units you have now? When did that happen that you say, you know what, uh, I think I want to scale this to another level? When did it hit you? Um, I would say about five years ago, five or six years ago. So, so our trajectory was we bought the we bought the single families and the duplexes, and we had those. Those were working. I ended up um, switching careers and becoming a management consultant after I finished business school. We moved back to Michigan. Um, Jessica ended up switching careers as well, becoming a speech pathologist, speech therapist. But with with my work, I was traveling a lot out of town, and it was a very rewarding career, very intellectually stimulating, but required an, an, an enormous amount of travel, right? So I was traveling upwards of 40 weeks a year. And with having a family, having four kids, it just became challenging. And frankly, I was missing events that I didn't want to be missing. And so one, one Sunday night, my, my daughter asked me, Dad, are you going to work the next day? which really meant, am I not going to see you for a few more days? And and that really was kind of the moment when, I mean, we put her to bed. I said, yes, I am going to go to work. But then Jessica and I had to have this conversation again and say, like, what are we doing? Um, yes, the money is great, but we're not really 
fulfilling a kind of lifestyle dreams or what like how how do we want to raise a family i mean it's very hard to be traveling that much even 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 if the compensation is great and so that's when we really said let's take a look at the single family thing that we've been doing it's working really well why don't we try to scale that up to something significantly larger where we know that we know the single family model works we know the duplexes pay we know that 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 that's good but again at at that scale it was just not something that we could retire on right and so that's that's really when we said let's go get some coaching let's make this a thing where we just let's go buy some property that would enable me to be home more and that was really the original goal and not only that i would also say you know having david gone it's 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 just so hard on the family but he truly is a businessman. He loves starting businesses. He loves um, really being in there and being able to transition from consulting to real estate. It was just kind of seamless because he's really able to start another business that he just really enjoys doing, but also have, be able to be home and do it. So it, it really was... Um, a big motivator from, from hearing both of you talk about your how you guys came uh how you guys got started in in the single families in the duplex it sounds to me like you guys communicate very well and uh and i can speak for myself and a lot of other uh investors that have a spouse and and are are probably in different careers you guys found a way of communicating and finding a something that you guys could do together in real estate partner up and I know it all sounds beautiful right now but I'm sure you have challenges and and you know when deciding how big of a deal how much stress are you going to put on the family because some of these deals you know they take they take time to build uh they take time out of your personal relationship because you got to spend a lot of time communicating about the deal so how much time do you think that you're spending on a daily basis talking about these deals as as a family <laughs> I think we, you know, we, we take our family with us everywhere. For example, we just bought a, a property in Marquette, Michigan, which is up north, up north Michigan, which is, uh, you know, it's eight hours away. And yeah. we took our whole family up there when we were researching it. You know, we talked to it. We see it as an education yeah, educating awesome. moment, I guess, for our children to really like show them what we're doing, show them how we're doing it, show them all the different facets that that come into play. And so we're really trying to build this into our family and build it into um, as how, yeah, how we're yeah, growing, really. You know, you, you just gave me, um, and I'm being honest, you just gave me goosebumps saying that because I remember when I was a kid, my dad was uh, in the construction business and he would go to these huge projects and I would look at them and I'll just be like, how do they buy these things? I, my mind couldn't figure it out. It's too much. Of, so that fact that you're taking your kids and they're seeing like mom and dad just bought this entire block. Like that, that <laughs> like, you know, you just bought a whole community. That's awesome that, you know, it's something that at an early age, they, they know that it could be done for some for some families, that's like unheard of. How do you do that? That's only for the really wealthy. That's not something yeah. that I could get myself into. And that's how I used to think when I was a kid. So you saying that has just inspired me to get my son, 
if it's my son goes to all the property, he gets annoyed when I'm walking him through these construction sites because he's six years old and I'm constantly watching him not to step on a nail, but he still can't comprehend what he's seeing and what he's walking. And so that's cool that you're involving your family like that. That's awesome. That's very inspiring. No, and, and, and none of us came from, you know, places of significant means. Right. I mean, I mean, we just didn't. Right. Uh, my dad, my dad, uh, was born in Sierra Leone, West Africa, uh, one of the poorest countries in the world. My mom was born in Ukraine, one of the poorest countries in Europe at this point in time. But um, again, we just kind of, I, I would say, very grateful to our parents for giving us an opportunity to have great educations. Um, and these are, you're right, these are things that a lot of people are not taught, right? You, you don't learn about this stuff. It's very, even if you go to any college or any school, this is something that often you just stumble upon and we kind of did stumble upon it. And unfortunately so, because we, we were searching for how, how do we do something different? How do we kind of avoid the, the, the regular path? But no, it, it has been in terms of back to your question, how do we communicate? I mean, there are definitely ups and downs. There are, there are times when it is inconvenient because there's family events or activities. Um, but again, over time, I think we've, we've managed to figure it out. I think I would definitely say, managing communications about real estate projects is, is significantly simpler for us than, than the management consulting life that I was in, because I mean, it's just, there's just, I mean, at least, at least you're present, you can say, Hey, let's grab 10 minutes or let's, let's take a walk or let's, let's go for a jog and we can talk about stuff for us. We both, uh, I feel like that that's significantly easier for us and on the family dynamics in general. Yeah. Yeah, we're on the contract on this deal in, in Orlando, which is in Disney World. And it's the the first exciting deal that my wife and son are happy to go see. Because I told them, like, <laughs> I, we got one in Disney World. <laughs> so uh, I, I get it. And then that's uh, that's cool that you guys are taking those trips with the family. One day in the future, they're going to go, ah, they're going to have that aha moment. And they're going to be, like, so appreciative of what you guys are doing. Um, I want to talk about that that deal, that 124 units that you just took down in Michigan. And uh, can you tell me a little bit about that story? Because I read the whole story on your website, and I love the fact that, that you were so detailed and you explained this story so well. Because most syndicators and or uh, REITs, they just explain, oh, we just bought this property. They just give you a quick summary of it. But we all know that deals take a long time to evolve. It takes relationships. It takes months, sometimes years for you to be able to buy a deal. And a lot of them have a great story behind it because there's so many moving parts, so many emotions, so many human beings involved in a deal. So they don't always go that smoothly. They take time. So tell me about this deal and the story behind it. Yeah, so, so this is a, a very unique deal that we just closed in March of this year. It's in Northern Michigan, Marquette. It's 124 units. The deal originally came about, um, came on the market in late 2019. And it was brought to us by a broker who we have done, I think, four or five deals with before. Um, and he kind of put on our radar and said, hey, this is, this." there's actually, it was one of two deals up in Marquette at the time. Um, we looked at it. It was, it was decent. It was a good enough deal. But as Jessica just mentioned, Marquette is a bit remote. It's, uh, it's, it's right on Lake Superior. It's a beautiful town, um, very diversified. Um, there's a university up there, Northern Michigan University. Uh, there's a lot of mining industry up there, forestry, a very large hospital. So it's, it's a pretty interesting economy, but it's small. I think the whole, 
the county is about 60 or 70,000 people. And literally, originally, Jessica and I looked at it and were like, I mean, we, we love that town, but it's a smaller community and it's probably too far and, and too small and we pass. That's basically what we told the broker. Um, and, and to the broker's credit, he's somebody who we've worked with before and um, he, he kind of understands what we look for. And a week passed by and he's like, you know what? I really want you to take another look at this deal for these reasons. It's a, it's a great deal for, for, for these various reasons. It's a very diversified area. There's a massive hospital that just got renovated. I think they spent over $100 million renovations on the hospital wow. um, that that opened that, that, uh, that I think, September 2019 when the deal came on the market. And various other factors that, that really caused us to reconsider. And again, we buy for cash flow, so we, we kind of analyzed the cash flow again. And it was, it was pretty good. Um, so we made an offer. Um, it would have been, I think, one of the bigger deals we'd ever done. So we're a bit, you know, again, kind of to your questions, like how do we communicate how, like what's too big, what's too risky, what's too stressful. Um, so we, we made a deal. We, we sorry, we, we made an offer. Um, the sellers considered it. And then they said, we think we can do better than that. We think we think we should be able to get a higher offer than this one. So we said, okay, I mean, we think these are our best numbers that we can offer. And again, we talked about it and we said, we think we're comfortable. If we get it, great. If we don't get it, we're fine if we didn't, right? So this was um, towards November of 2019. Um, you know, the, the Christmas holiday break typically tends to be a, a quieter time. Then we came into spring and we all know what happened then, like coronavirus and the country shut down. We were very uh, cautious with our portfolio of existing units because, again, everybody, I think, in the first few months kind of freaked out, like, what's going to happen next? How far, how, how, how bad is this going to be? Um, so we're very cautious. We, we made maybe no offers for a couple of months. And then we saw this deal come back on the market again. Mm-hmm. And so I called the broker. I said, hey, what's, what's the story? Because the deal was off the market. I think we, we, we thought that somebody bought it. Um, he said, no, actually... They tried. They they did try to go buy it, but for whatever reason, it fell through. So it's back on the market. So I said, "Well, we're still interested if if the seller considered the the offer we made before." So the broker said, "I'll I'll take it to them," and and it was a very slow process, right? So the the sellers were like, "Yeah, we'll consider it. We still think maybe we can do better." This was around April. Finally, in June, we actually got a signed contract, a signed LOI. And the signed LOI early June, and then we said, wow, great, okay, we'll work on it. So then by end of June, we got a signed contract, a signed PSA. And again, this was still the height of coronavirus. Uh, the seller actually made a request. They said, listen, we'll sell this to you, but we have a higher prepayment penalty because of what interest rates are doing at this time. So for anybody who's kind of part of the market, interest rates kind of crashed, and anybody who's doing any kind of deals, real estate, private equity deals. Some, some of our consulting clients were like, hey, this is, not, this is very difficult because banks don't know how to price risk. The 10-year treasury rate fell off a cliff, right? The historic average for the, for the treasury rate was um, somewhere around 1%. And at this point, it was close to 0.6%. So the seller's prepayment penalty was based on the difference of that arbitrage between what the 10-year T-note was doing and the, like, what the actual 
where their rate is. So essentially, the larger that difference, the higher their prepayment penalty. So the seller requested and said, we would like to not close until at least November. And even in November, if that difference is still too high, we would like to have the option to postpone the deal for 45 business days, which is kind of one of those, right? I mean, if you're trying to buy a deal, we all know that the longer the deal goes, that tends to kill the deal. So it's a bit of, a, of an uncertain period. And I mean, it was one of those things that we didn't particularly like, but at the same time we said, well, I mean, we understand the seller's issue. He's going to have like an extra prepayment penalty of about a million dollars or somewhere thereabouts in that range um, if, if we do this thing at the current rate. So we said, sure, like, we'll, we'll go with it. Um, but we also said if, if indeed we're going to have this stretch timeline, we want to take advantage of a particular loan product, which allows us to get a much lower interest rate. It's called the HUD, HUD loan. Um, you're probably familiar with it for construction because yeah, they're doing yeah, yeah. construction finance. Great rates, yeah. Yeah. So, so we, we went into the deal knowing this, that the seller had an extended time frame for doing this deal, and we were going to try and leverage that time frame to get a, a, a particular loan product, which HUD is extremely difficult in that they are super meticulous, right? They'll, they'll raise issues that other loan types wouldn't raise. But at the same time, if it means that we're getting a better product or a more secure property, that's a good thing for us, for investors. So we went with it. Yeah, HUD, HUD deals. I've done I've done a few HUD deals in my career, and they're very strenuous, man. It's if you think you're going to close a HUD deal under 45 days, it's not happening. Uh, they they do take they do take a long time, and you gotta have a seller that's willing to play game play ball with you on that. Uh, yeah. You had that, you had that ability. So you use that to advantage. And also you run a lot of risk when your deal takes too long on your capital raise with your investors. You know, you could lose that investors because they're, they're giving you someone giving you verbal commitments. So Correct. the longer you're sitting out there with that verbal commitment, the more stressful it is for us to raise money Correct. on the deal. Yeah. Yeah. Now, no, absolutely. So Jessica and I had to have conversations with, with some of our network where people were coming back and saying, uh, are we doing this deal or what? Like, cause I, I want to go put my money somewhere else. Well, like, yeah, yes, yeah. we are doing it, but by all means, right. Again, our relationship with you is a long-term relationship. So if there is something that you absolutely have to go do now, we understand. Um, yeah. but yes, the deal is happening. Here's the, here's the timeline as best we understand it now. Um, but yeah, it, it was a bit of a, of a, that kind of a situation where we had to, be very transparent with investors, but also manage their expectations for how soon they'll close. You know, it, I'm, uh, I want to I want to point out something that you did that um, a lot of investors don't do. You stuck to your number. You knew what you knew that you always knew that the number that was the number that made sense for that deal. The seller didn't want it. You walked away from it, and it came back to you. You stuck to your number again, and it was unfortunate for the seller that COVID hit. So that just put us, yeah, that just put him in a bad situation where he's like, all right, it's time, it's time to move on. And I've seen that happen many times. And I've seen it happen in the opposite direction where there is a lot of traffic on a deal and people are overbidding, which is something I'm seeing a lot now. And you could get caught up on that. Uh, like I've been in those transactions where you're in that, you want the deal, you want the deal, you love the deal. Next thing you know, the offer keeps going up and keeps going up. Your number starts shrinking. And you got to be very careful that you don't get caught up on that and tie down a deal because you were under a lot of pressure of other competing offers. So that I like the fact that you stuck to your guns and you didn't budge on that. Now, what, what was 
What was so special about this deal? Was it a big value add deal or just needed poor management or was or just tired owners and just wanted to exit and let someone else take on that renovation for the near the near upswing in, in rents? It was it was I think the the latter really. The owners were willing to move on. So they were in their, I would say late fifties, husband, wife couple. Um, had lived up in that uh, in Marquette for most of their lives, and they actually were planning on. Originally, they were planning on keeping that property for for a much longer period of time. So about three years ago, they'd done a lot of capex and improvements to it. They had done nice. essentially all the siding, all of the windows. Um, I mean, the property looked beautiful. Like this, right? It was a hundred percent occupied. It's a beautiful property. Oh, it wow. really is. It's inside of a neighborhood. It's quiet. It's 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 a really great great investment. It's like a mile to downtown and the lake. It's literally across the the street from this new hospital. So it was it was a very good asset, and they had taken really good care of it. And I think they essentially, like I said, had put all this money into it, thinking they would own it for a longer period of time. And then a few deals sold up there. Um, like within the year before we we bought it, the year before it came on the market. So I think they probably just started thinking, oh, we didn't we didn't realize we could get these kinds of valuations for this property, and they did want to move to Florida because <laughs> um, again, uh, you know, there's Michigan yeah. and there's up north Michigan. Yeah, 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 trust yeah, yeah. me, it's it's a little We're bit different. We're getting a lot of those. We're getting a lot of those lately. <laughs> yeah, the amount of snow and how cold it gets definitely there's a difference. And I mean, they just like, hey, we can go swim in the Gulf versus swim up here in Lake Superior, which is beautiful, but it, it is colder, right? So they basically made the decision that we're moving. We're, we're, we're going down south. We're having more time to enjoy our, 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 our great years ahead. And so they were ready to go. Um, in terms of the property itself, there's some room for kind of the value add. Uh, some of the units haven't been really remodeled, I'd say more than 50%. But they're in good shape. They've been maintained, but not upgraded, right? So the opportunity is to upgrade um, bathrooms, floors, kitchens. Um, the exterior is, is done. All of the exterior is good. So really just internal upgrades is kind of our focus. Um, but even then, I mean, since we bought it now, the the great surprise we run into is when units become available, we, we say, hey, maybe we should put this one aside and do a, a renovation. And within like two, three days, we get four or five very qualified applicants who are willing to pay above what we're asking to rent it. Oh, that's sweet. So, yeah, so that's awesome. like literally, we've kind of put renovations aside for a second because it's been, there's been strong, very strong demand. Um, nice. So again, yeah. it's, it's, I think it's just a small market with not, right. not a ton of great quality apartments. So I think in a way we got lucky as well. How how do how do you and Jessica structure your responsibilities on this deal? Uh, do you have a local third party property management company doing the seeing this day to day basis? And I just want to know kind of how you guys structure your responsibilities on this project. Sure. Yeah. So on this project and mostly how we work. So I I do most of the spreadsheeting and analytics, right? And then we talk to investors together. So fundraising is both shared responsibility, and then Jessica mostly takes the lead on kind of the what kind of upgrades and what kind of construction projects? How do we want to tackle things like that? But yes, we do have local property management on the ground, um, a company that, again, we've worked with 
quite a bit that manages most of our assets in Michigan that we trust. And we actually brought them and gave them a little bit of a GP on this deal because, again, mm-hmm. it's a little bit remote. We want to make sure that they're incentivized to go there, be there, mm-hmm. um, essentially manage it as their own as much as possible. I find that very important in when you're putting together a team, like you and, you and Jessica have a team, and sharing the responsibilities and allocating the responsibilities to what people like to do. Like I have my partners in our team and it, we were trying to figure out in the beginning when we started our venture at SCR Apartment Capital, all right, well, who's going to manage what? Who's going to take what responsibility? It's got to fit your personality and what you like to do. Like you said something, you like the spreadsheets and, uh, and you know, she's on the field, boots on the ground, seeing the remodeling, seeing the vision of the, of the, of the project and the feel of the units. And that's, that's the right way of doing it. You can't try to do it all. You know, you know your role. She knows her role, and that's something really important in partnerships. I want to add that. So I'm glad you said that. Um, so, what's the game plan on this deal? You're going to create the value, increase the rents. You're going to are you going to refinance, get some equity out, or what's the what is the the terms and finance structure that you're going on this deal? Yeah. So the the HUD loan that we got on it is so in this case HUD is a the specific HUD loan we got is a 10 year step down prepay, um, which because of that we essentially communicated to the investors like, hey, this is going to be a longer period hold. It's going to be most likely a 10-year hold uh, for this asset, but it cash flows really nicely. So the the business case to investors was it's going to be a high cash flowing asset. Um, HUD does allow you to essentially refi if, if rates are better or if there's much more value. So that's on the table for us. Um, but really, it's kind of just slow and steady, make some improvements as people move out, as we get units available. Um, and just uh, just keep it going as long as we're returning. I believe I believe our year one projection was seven and a half or so percent return cash on cash, nice. and that grows nice. healthily as we progress. So again, we we try to not do too many crazy things, but uh, I'm sure we'll find a way to delight our investors and over deliver on this deal because it's it's just been performing well from the get go so far. Nice. How many doors do you have under management right now? Uh, close to 400. I think it's 368 or somewhere there. Um, That's and amazing. Depending on what we close in the next couple of weeks, um, it may be over 400 very soon. That's awesome. That's a long way from those duplexes. That's a great Absolutely. story. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great story. Now, um, I, I want to ask, uh, uh, just to close close the show out, I want to ask a question that I always ask to, to, to everyone I interview as a family, as, as a husband and wife, what is, what is financial freedom mean to you guys? I know that changes. <laughs> I know that changes because mine changes a lot. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, you, yeah, yeah, we have a 13 year old, we have an 11 year old, we have a seven and a four year old. So, um, I think really generational wealth, that's what we've come to is awesome. really being able to provide and provide generationally for our children and, you know, generations to come. That's really where we're at. Um, we've worked really hard, both of us, uh, sending ourselves through college and, you know, we've done that and we want to make sure there's something there for our children and our children's children, really. Yeah, that's awesome. That that's that's the first time I hear that. Yeah. So generational wealth is the financial freedom. You know, I, I, I've had a few interviews. A lot. I get a lot of them um, uh, retiring in the beaches and stuff like that. But you, you look at it in a different perspective. That's why I like to hear everyone's different perspective of what financial freedom 
it's and that also could change too with time. And this is definitely the business for it. Right. I think for us, for me personally, um, like I think, and not just just myself. I think Jessica and I have both come to this. We have stopped thinking about you know wealth as as a number in a bank, right? Because or a place, uh, right? It's, right. it's kind of yeah. that. That is less meaningful. which we fall into that trap. Yeah. Right. I think the more meaningful thing for us is having the time to do things we want to do with the people we want to do it with. Right. Let's face it. All of our all of our um, parents are getting a bit older, right? And we're fortunate to have our parents with us. Um, so being able to spend time with them while they're still healthy um, is very meaningful. And I mean, go on, on trips with, with them. So we're taking both our mothers to Hawaii with us for a couple of weeks. That's awesome. Uh, on vacation. Um, That's awesome to get along too. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, in time, there's, there's Just time. Just out there. <laughs> In time, there's probably not going to be those options, right? And so we want to do yeah. it when when they can still be active and enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. Um, things like that, and and also it's about really that personal cash flow. So I created something called the personal cash flow formula, which really encourages people to think about cash flow not just from a business perspective, but from a personal perspective. And what that really means is if you can have passive income that surpasses your monthly expenses right that kind of gives you the freedom to do whatever you really want to do with your life if you want to be a, a school teacher you can do that if you want to go build a real estate company you can do that if you want to volunteer you can do that if you want to be a scientist you can do that if you want to pursue further school you really are giving yourself a the choice of how you want to spend your time because just again coming from the management consulting space um I have a lot of friends and colleagues who are extremely well compensated, high net worth, high earning individuals, but they don't have the freedom of the time to spend on what they want to do, right? And for me, that's really what financial freedom is, is, is not forget the finance part so much, it's more control of your time, right? If you can get up in the morning and say, today I want to do whatever it is, and you have the option to go do that, then that's that's super important whether that's, that's right. spend the time with your kids or teach them something or take a trip yeah. or, or go to work right yeah. all of those are good yeah. options but that's that's how i start thinking about it yeah yeah oh yeah that's very true it's um for me for me it it is also that the freedom to be able to do the things i want at that moment when i want to do them uh, it doesn't mean that i'm still not working probably six seven days a week i am and then we're working a lot of hours uh, to, to get to where, where, where we're at. But at any point I could pull out and say, I want to go here. I want to go there. Especially I have a wife that likes to travel a lot. So, you know, thanks to technology, we could do things around the world and still, you know, manage. And this is a business that you can actually do that. If yeah. you got the right people in place, you got your third party management companies, you got the right operators, you could manage these assets from everywhere, any part of the world at any time. And that's one of the things I fell in love with this business. I yeah. could have what? I could have a professional do this. I could have a professional do that. You could have great professional individuals to manage your assets while you're still doing your thing. And that's the beauty of it. You know, it's it's one of those things that I love about the business. David, Jessica, it was a real pleasure talking to you too. It was very refreshing to see how you guys do it. And and uh, I got a lot of uh, I got a lot of talking to my wife to do. Yeah, you guys are you guys are a good example. Um, how can listeners get in touch with you guys? Can you drop um, your website and where to get in contact with you? 
Yeah, so our website is Cape Sierra Capital. That's C-A-P-E-S-I-E-R-R-A-C-A-P-I-T-A-L.com. And while you're there, check out this uh, personal cash flow formula, and it's capesierracapital.com slash cash flow. And hopefully that's that's helpful to you. Yeah, we'll, we'll drop the link. And uh, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Take thank care. You so much, thank you. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Life Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to reach out to me, please go to my website, www.alielbiesteros.com.